right, we covered a ton of stuff last week. So in terms of takeaways, if each of you were to summarize it in uh, 30 seconds or one thing to remember, what would it be? I think one of the main takeaways that I got from last week that we mentioned is that the importance of financial stability isn't just about us. It allows us to give to others and to support others, people who are important in our lives, religious organizations, charities that we feel passionate about. Um, obviously, the, the main things is money has to be coming in more than what's going out. Um, we try to avoid, um, if you do that, you avoid uh, living week to week and uh, subsidizing your interim through credit cards, which Gary had a good example today. Um, we've learned that having a education is important, but not, not, not necessarily an Ivy League or something uh, overly expensive. Um, people have been able to give examples that with uh, almost any education, one, as long as you get an education, and two, as long as the last one is the name. So if you get your master's, no one really cares where your bachelor's. And that's basically it. Um, and one of the things I brought up last week is that you want to start early. If you, um, if you start saving money for 10, <laughs> the first 10 years, if you invest money for the first 10 years uh, after college and never do it again, and somebody starts on an 11th year, you're going to have more money than them. So the earlier you start, the better. I think um, the point, uh, the, the biggest point I, I think we wanted to convey or that I want to convey is that when you're young, um, when you get, when you first start working, you may have a salary for the first time. It seems like you're making more money, right? But you really need to push it hard. If you, if you want to make a difference, you need to push it hard when you're young, you know, whether it's changing jobs or asking for raises or getting promoted or whatever, but you need to push the income as much as you can, the younger you are, because as you get older, you're not, you know, you're not going to want to work extra weekends. You're not going to want to, you know, you're going to have a family, you're going to have other stuff going on and you're not going to want to go out there and work two jobs or three jobs. So when you're young, do it. Right, get it out of the way. A few things. First, you got to have a basic understanding of math. Sixth grade math is uh, more than enough. You got to be reasonably well organized, at least enough to be able to track and understand uh, your expenses and your income. Uh, and it also may seem obvious, but you got to have a source of income. And, and yeah, you got to work for your money and you need to be willing to pay yourself first. And Look, it may take five or 10 years before you see the impacts of that, before it really starts to become the least bit fun and you see the fruits of your labor. And I think the final thing to remember is despite all your good intentions and efforts, you know, keep, keep gratitude in mind because we're all a heartbeat or a half second away from total disaster getting you know, run over by a truck or some surprise thing out of left field. So keep gratitude in mind too. Okay. Um. So we're going to move on today to um, to talk about what happens next, right? So we're saying make sure you make money, right? Well, what do you do with it, right? How do you how do you put it to work? How do you make it valuable to you? Um, everybody's got a different take on that, depending on how you were brought up, your parents, you know what, you know classes you were in in school. So I think we're going to spend some time figuring that out, um, or at least giving our opinions on that. So does anyone want to go first? I think one of the, the key things, you know, that everyone can kind of keep in mind irrespective of their income level or their background is trying to keep in mind tax advantage investments, things that are going to put you in advantage where it's either some kind of contribution that's tax-free or grows tax-free, or maybe when you withdraw it, you know, that you don't have to pay taxes on it. Some kind of advantage is going to be to your benefit, you know, either now in the long run or sometimes both. I think we talked a little bit about it last week about 401k, did we not? If not, let's talk about it now. 
So, I mean, a real easy way to save money and make money um, is using your 401k at work because most companies will match up to a certain percentage. But Gary, what the heck is a 401k? It's farther than a 5k and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was a good point. Might need to train yeah. for it. We, we might yeah. need to might need to explain what it is, yeah, real quick. The numbers are from the tax code. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually just saw something the other day saying a four hundred one k was some accountant from nineteen eighty who who changed the, or read the rules of what it was. It wasn't designed for what it's used for now. Um, I don't remember the details, but they said it was like the biggest thing that's gone crazy because it's not what it was for. But four hundred one k, I don't know actually the definition is other than um, it's a tax deferred. So when you have money taken out of your paycheck, you don't pay tax on that. So you're not going to pay taxes on it now. You will pay tax when you start taking out. But at that point, you're going to be making less money because you're probably retired. So your tax um, percentage will be less. Um, and then, as I said, most companies will match up to a certain percentage. So it's free money when your company matches. Why would you max it out to take full advantage of that? So what, what's that mean? If I'm getting paid $100, I can take the hundred dollars in my pocket, but I'll pay taxes on it. So it's really only about 70, 75 bucks. But if I direct it to my 401k, all hundred dollars. You pay zero taxes on that. Yes. And then most companies will match, match up to 10% of your salary. Um, so you're, if, if let's just, for example, say you put a hundred dollars in and that was 10%, they would match a hundred dollars. So you would double, start off already doubling your money. Um, and you're not paying tax on it until you take it out. So I would say, um, in general, what you're talking about is any tax-advantaged or tax-deferred retirement plan, right? It could be an IRA, because not all companies offer these, right? So it could be an IRA, it could be a self-directed IRA, it could be a 401k. They all kind of behave the same 403B, way. 403b, 457, right. and right. so on. Right. They're all like that. So basically, numbers and letters. Right. So following following the theme, it's if you can defer paying taxes, it's it's usually a good thing. Right. There are there are cons to doing it. Right. Like you can't touch it until you're retired unless you um, uh, unless you pay a penalty to get it out. Right. But you, can so, lend, you can borrow from it for yourself. For certain reasons, you can borrow like to buy a house or for some medical problems. But if you wanted to use that money for other things, you are tying it up. Right. You can't I can't go start a business with that money. Right. The highest tax rate so, in this country used to be like 90, 95 percent. How do I know that all this tax deferred money isn't going to burn me in the end because I've got to pay greater tax rates on it when I pull it out. That's a great point, Adam. And I think that's where part of our discussion last week based on planning comes into play, right? About planning, you know, what your income is going to be when you retire and looking at that. Because it's not likely over time that the tax brackets, if anything, are going to decrease. But what we have to consider is how much are we going to be earning when we're retired? So trying to plan that out based on our savings is going to be key. And that's going to be an important point. I think the other thing to think about is most people don't save money. This is a way to save money without having to think about it. It's automatically taken out of your paycheck. Yeah, and and it provided your company allows you. So either you get it through your company or you've got to go do it yourself if your company doesn't do it. You can do a 401k by yourself. You can do a Roth. You can do the other ones that we talked about, the IRA, self-directed IRAs, or traditional IRAs on your own. Right, Right. but then there are some that are only employer-sponsored plans. Correct. So... um, so the thing about that, right? How do you know what tax bracket you're going to be in? You don't, right? I, I know what I'm in today. I don't know what I'm going to be in when I'm retired, right? So what we've done is said, hey, we're going to we're going to balance that out, right? So in in many 401k plans and in IRAs, you can choose: do I want to pay the taxes now? Or do I want to pay the taxes later? Right. So for a, anything that's considered a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, you pay the taxes now. 
and then when you and then invest, and then when you take it out, you don't have to pay the tax. So what we did early on was start splitting the money, putting half in one and half in the other, so that when you get to retirement, like diversification, right? It sounds like diversification. So what we chose to do is say, hey, while we're in a relatively lower tax bracket, say in your twenties or thirties. Um, Put half and half, or some into the tax deferred, some into the tax now. They're both retirement. But there's accounts. a limit you can put in some of these things. Yeah, you can you can limit. There are limits, and you obviously would try to max them out if you can. That's the advantage. Um, but I'm just saying, from a diversity perspective, it gives you a choice later, right? Do I want to take it out of this one and pay the taxes? Do I want to take it out of that one, and not pay the taxes? Depends on where you are in your life when you're retired, right? One year you decide you're going to build a house. I need a bunch of money to do that. I'm going to take it from the one I already paid the taxes on. Right. Another year, I'm not doing anything. I'm just eating dog food out of a can. I'll take it out of the one where I got to pay the taxes. Right. So, you know that that is where the diversity comes in, and the choices come in that you make early because you can't unwind that choice later. Right. So, the limit does come into play too, though, and you can't double the limit by doing the Roth and the traditional. Correct. It is it's all combined, one. but the idea yes. is that uh, you're maximizing all of them, and that that's right. Uh, goes to right to the point of paying yourself first. That's one way to do it. Right. Yeah. And that word that you mentioned about diversification is just huge. You know, one of the quotes that I once read that totally stood out to me and always applies to so many aspects of life is a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Right. And that totally applies to financial stability with diversification. Right. If you have different pillars, you know, upholding your financial stability, you're well better off. Right. Yeah. In case one fails, one isn't doing so good, you have others to rely on. So diversification was actually topic number two. So let's back up a second. So Ray, because right. it's fresh in your mind, say the 55 rule. The 55 rule um, is just a, a small like tweak to the uh, on the 401k. So when you pull money out of a 401k or an IRA, you have to wait until you're 59 and a half if you don't want to pay penalties. Um, the 55 rule... Um, lets you pull money out of a 401k. I don't know if it applies to IRAs, probably not. Um, if you quit your job or leave your job uh, when you're 55 or older, um, you can start taking money out right away. Uh, you don't have to wait till 59 and a half. So there's a gap in there that you can fill um, before you get to that age. Uh, but it has to be the last job you left. You can't take it from a 401k from a previous job. It has to be the only the one you left. Right. So, so there are even more ways to play you know, with the systems that were, that were given. Right. And sometimes within those systems, you may have more or less play, whether it be a four three B, some of the ones Adam mentioned, sometimes they'll vary also. That's right. I think the state lets you do the same thing as the 55, but at 50, maybe it's federal, one of them. So there, there, you have to know what you have, right? You got to know what you have, know what you're doing, read the rules, read the fine print, right? Or ask us questions and we'll answer them. So diversification is not necessarily, hey, I've got some money in a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, a 403B, 401k, and so forth. That is really just paying yourself more and more and more, which is great. What's the traditional definition of diversity? To me, it's different asset classes, right? There's real estate, there's investing in the stock market, there's bonds, there's gold and silver, right? There's you could buy paintings, right? You could start a business, right? You have all those different things. And within those, there's lots of other. Anything that So what's diversity like in a 401k? What does that look like? How do I know I'm diversified? You don't want to be all that. in tech or all overseas or so you want to have a little bit of money in different areas. And and you're probably will look at it and say, well, this area sucked for the last two years, but that doesn't mean you pull out because everything's going to be cyclical. Something else is going to be up and come down and something's going to be down and come up. So if you're not diversified uh, and you have it all in one, when everything goes down, 
you're going to be in a lot more trouble when, than when you're not. So stocks, bonds, cash, metals, small companies, large companies, or small cap, big cap, um, small cap, large cap. Sorry, Rutgers just won by one point, so half of my brain is, is, is over there awesome. uh, in, in, in Wisconsin. But um, there's also uh, diversity beyond that. And Ray, you just mentioned real estate and paintings. There's probably a way to work them into an IRA. Very complicated, but I think you're talking about once uh, those qualified accounts are fully funded, there's still more diversification you could do. Correct. Correct. I mean, that's like we always when we were younger, we put everything we could into the into these tax qualified or tax deferred accounts. Right. That was the mantra. Do as much as you can. Right. There was a time where, um, you know, we were looking through the money and I don't know if we were looking at buying real estate or something, but we didn't have money. Like there was not enough around to do anything with. And I sat back and thought, like, what are we doing? Right. We don't spend extra money. We save it. Turns out it was all in those accounts, right? It's all in the 401ks. We put it in IRAs. It's all buried and it's great, but you don't have anything to, to use today to buy a house or to start a business or to do something else. So you do have to be a little careful. And I'm not saying don't, don't max out the 401ks. I think you should do that in the beginning. But at some point, right, there was this trade-off to say, like, I don't have anything accessible right now, right? So another part of the diversification talk is, you know, where do you keep all this money? We probably got to define qualified versus unqualified funds qualified is something that is has some restrictions on it typically you're not tapping that until retirement unqualified is a regular brokerage account everything else that you can access free of any kind of uh, retirement restrictions or age requirements yep so so we are straying right so so we should go back to how do you make your money make more money right so this is one we're still only on ed's topic right put it into a retirement account um so what else? Well, I think Gary hit upon a point where he mentioned, you know, that things are cyclical. And I think that's a huge point because I think when, you know, uh, people are young and even throughout our lifespan, we're going to see those cycles. And if we haven't experienced one yet, you know, human emotion is going to come into play where we're automatically going to think, you know, let's pull this out. And understanding that if you have really good years, then you're going to have some years that are not as strong. And I think that's okay understanding that it's about the long term and not being too focused on the short term, not getting too overly excited, not get too overly down on yourself when you're having a bad year, but thinking more in terms of the long term. When you're looking at investing, it's it's hard not to be emotional and make decisions off of emotion. Um, and I know everybody in this room doesn't agree with this, but I believe in having a good financial financial advisor so I don't have to think about it and I don't have to say, well, I don't want to sell this for X reason. And he says, no, you need to because of this. And then you listen. Um, so I believe getting a good financial advisor in the beginning will help you. Um, but you don't want to run into problem with someone's like, you don't have a whole lot of money, so I don't really care about you, which is an experience I had 25 years ago. And if the guy actually spent some time with me, he would have all my money now instead of all right. me leaving. So quick uh, poll, to what extent have, have each of us relied on a financial advisor along the way? Uh, I never have. I've read books and talked to people who worked in the financial market, but I think there's nothing wrong with uh, hiring a financial advisor. And I think it's great benefits. And I think very much like our last few episodes in the podcast, how we share different experiences of getting you know, to a stable point. You know, that's just another aspect right, of how people can you know, go about that. I've never used one. I have never used one. 
I have never used one either, but I think all of you guys have found that over the years, uh, you get approached and by folks who want to do that. And yeah, they're looking to make a buck. They're looking to make, uh, they think they, they can help you, but there's a fee for it. And I'll tell them straight up, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm DIY, but you want to take a look at what I've got. Give me advice. Take me to lunch. I'm all for it. But I'm telling you, it's going to be charity work on, <laughs> on your point. Um, usually they accept. I get free advice. Most of the time, it's what I already know. But every once in a while, th there's a couple of um, uh, good tips in there that I'll follow. And uh, I'll, I'll thank them. If it's good enough, I'll end up paying for the lunch. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to backtrack on my statement. So um, I did stumble into a financial advisor. We, we, I was working in, a, in, a, in an office of a, of a financial business, and I was talking to one of the guys who had the corner office, and I, and I, um, and I said, hey, what, what, what do you do? And he was a head financial guy. He had a team of people. And I said, so if I gave you my money to manage, like, you know, you know what, are you gonna, what would you do with it? So he spent like 20 minutes, you know, showing me what he does. And I, think, and I said, okay, right. Um, and I never really wanted to do that, but I said, I'm standing here with this guy, right? It's, and um, so we'll just do it. So it turned out, um, for we did it for a few years, and it was just okay, right? He would call me once in a while, right, to, to say, hey, we should do this or we should do that, but it really wasn't like a full management thing. And if I called him to, to make changes or to buy or sell stuff, uh, he would just do it. Um, so I didn't get a great you know, experience out of that. Um, one other thing that, that Adam reminded me of, I was going up the elevator one day in, in my building at work and some other guy walked in the building, but it was late. It was like I was going into the building at 7 p.m. And so was this guy. So I made some comment about like, why are you, you know, you're going the wrong way in the elevator. Why are you going up? We should be going down. Um, and he said, well, I'm meeting some clients, whatever. He was a financial advisor. So, um, so then he did the, he gave me the spiel like, hey, what are you doing? Do you, you know, do you want to talk? We can do, I, you know, you can. So I said, fine. So um, I met with him. We talked a little bit, and then he said, okay, next step, give me all your paperwork, all of your assets, all your stuff. We'll do this and this and this, right? And I said, look, there's a good chance I'm not going to do this, right? Because I kind of do it myself, right? I've kind of been there before. Um, so I don't want you guys spending a lot of time on this if we're not going to do it. He's like, no, 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 that's okay. Gave him all the stuff, took weeks, went into a room with them. He brought his, his assistants. They did charts, tables, paperwork, pages and pages of stuff, right? Give me all this stuff. And there was nothing special in it that I didn't already think that I knew. So I said, no, thanks. Just got up and walked out of the room. Didn't even say anything. He just walked away and never saw him again. He walked away or you walked away? He walked away. Wow. Like angry, you yeah. think? Yeah. So you, you told him. And I told him there's a 95% chance this is not going to happen. I think it's important to understand that the average person is not going to be is disciplined to stare at their money and look into where they should put it is some people in this room is I would never do it. It's a, it's a job yes. and I, and it, and you get too emotional around it. You know, I, I just raised all this money just went up this much. If I sell this right now, I pay all these taxes. And it's one of the things my financial advisor says is you can't let the, the tail wag the dog. And I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, we've had this discussion, but when the stock market was doing great back when we were what, around 2000, I had, some stocks when I was doing it on my own. So I did a period of time where I was doing my own. And I had stocks where I was up $100,000. And when you're 30 years old, it's a lot of money. I'm like, shit, I'm retiring when I'm, when, when I'm 30. I'm retiring soon. And then it kept going. It's like, oh, this is supposed to go up to 70. Only It's only at 30 now, but it went down $2. Uh, it's all right. It's going to keep going. Until it got back down to where I bought it at and I made no money. I'm like, this is not good because it was <laughs> stupid. And I made a lot of mistakes like that. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. So I found somebody who I knew um, 
And I know some people in this room feel like, why should I pay my 1% for them to do it? But it takes it away from me. I don't have to think about it. And I believe they make at least as much as I'm paying them. That, that was my one of my two questions, Gary. So you mentioned it before that you had one of those. What is the rate it's, for the It's going to be depend. I mean, I think, SMP? I think that, the, well, I don't know if you can compare this. It's there. If you have a, let's back up a second. In any field, there's going to be bad people and there's going to be good people. So yes. you can't, you, you can, we can have a lot of people have bad experiences with financial advisors and there may be a lot of bad financial advisors. There's also a lot of bad well, of everything. The experience, the percentage. Well, yeah, we, but what I'm saying is if you have a bad one, they're, they're, they're going to probably equal the same amount of, they're going to probably make you as much money as the index, right? Um, and then you're paying your, probably more people who are having, if you're studying lower, you're going to be paying more percentage. You might just, be paying let's 2%. Just, let's just say the average. So, so Johnny's question is really, is the financial advisor going to make you more than the average? Like if you were doing a good one, yourself, yes. Right? But I'm saying yours. Mine, you yes. took your rate of return yeah, yeah. in 10 years. Every time I we compare how much I went up the prior year compared to everything else, it's always better. Well, that's good to that's know. That's great. Right? That's number right. one. And two, Ray, have you done in any of your spreadsheets or in your head, you started your 401k at 20 years old and you look at the total at 30? Nope. And you bought a house at 20 years old and that. you sold it at 30. Which one made better? I, don't, I, I got the that, question. That's too time specific. I, I don't do it that. It depends on what year that. you start. Either one could be better than the other. Yeah, no, that's but you, fair, you, yeah. you get the, the exercise, though. I think it's good to maybe plug those numbers in and maybe next week show people examples. If it had the same return, right? Because one's compounding different than the other, right? You're, but you're, it, you're it all depends. You could buy a, like if you bought a house in 2005. You're going to make a lot less money than if you bought it in, let's say, 2015 or whenever. Right, we got to talk to it's the research committee. It's a tough comparison, committee. look, because stocks are going to throw off a dividend or large enough funds will most likely throw off a dividend, whereas your house is a liability. It's going to eat away at what you've uh, what you purchased it for in, in the form of taxes, maintenance, and upkeep. So to my that's point, a real right? hard comparison. Because we, we could also add to that comparison 401k the asset of a single family appreciating and a two, three, four if, family, if, right? If there, you wanted there's to get a it, good thing to yeah. do with that because I think we could talk about it and say it as an example, but we could say, all right, over a process of 35 years, 40 years, we take this average. Because remember, putting in a 401k, no one calls you that the sink is overflowing, no, none of that, right? Um, so it, it, I think it's one of those things that we could put on a piece of paper and say, this, these are the real numbers if you went from 1950 to you know, 2000. Yeah, and we can, that would be an analytical discussion. And we can say, look, we can get all the averages over those long periods of time and just compare yeah, them all, look, right? I believe the S&P generally accepted 10 to 11% over the long haul. Real estate generally beats it by 2 or 3% over the long haul. But you've got added expenses associated with real estate. So therefore, I think it's, it's about like a five. wash, right? Yes. And yeah. a yeah. wash makes sense. Because if it was heavily weighted one way or the other, everybody would go right. there. But it, it right. goes, changed the economics until it. But it's not as easy again. to get. It goes to a financial advisor, right? The one's much simpler. Four hundred one k is it's a no brainer. Right, zero work. But I think you would categorize them like four hundred one k's, stock investments, all that stuff would just be lumped into one pile because they all follow the same market, right? Not necessarily, except depending for the taxes, on the, depending on the, the investments you make within that. But, well, right, but you have that choice to make, so right. you can make the same choice in all of those places, right? And then compare them, right? Um, if you're going to get if you're going to get very specific or diversify <coughs> or whatever, then you can try to play the market, play the game, right? Um, so you would compare the bigger buckets, right? Investing in the stock market, 
investing in real, real estate, estate and maybe there's one or two other categories gold and silver kind of heavy metal or you know precious, precious metals metal. um and figure that out right so so yeah we can do that one of these days but that's going to take you know a little bit of a little bit of prep so one of the good things and you and johnny kind of mentioned it you know with that diversification sometimes there are some funds um like one particular company that i really like not sure if I'm able to. Does it start the name. with a V and end with an Angard? That could. Be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just happens to be ones that I'm preferential towards. I, I think they're great. I don't want to mention their fees are extremely low, and I think they're awesome. But they happen to have uh, a real estate fund, mm -hmm. right? It was called REIT, then the tax laws changed, and now I think it's called real estate something fund REIF. Um, and then they also have precious metal funds, and so within. There are different funds that are available. And for anyone who's not familiar with it, you know, if it's some kind of single investment in a company, typically that's stock. If it's some kind of diversity within companies, they call that a fund. That's typically mutual funds. But they do the same kind of idea with real estate. And so I think to your point, right, what you're mentioning about, you know, employer-sponsored plans, if your plan happens to be with a company such as Vanguard or another comparable company that offers more diversification within it. And that'll vary greatly from employer to employer. Sometimes you'll have a REIT available or sometimes you'll have a precious metal fund. And that's in addition to various stock funds. So I think that's kind of a good thing depending where you look. And I think when people are looking at jobs, one of the things they're constantly focused on is what will my salary be? Because in them, in their mind, they think it's the end all be all. When in reality, it's really not. You got to look at the benefits associated with that job, which really in the long term may carry more weight. I don't think most young people understand the benefit side. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. But That's to, why I bring it up. To go back on the the REIT, and I don't know if you said what it is. It's a real estate investment um, trust, right? Yes. yes. So, um, you know, we're talking about investing and buying properties. And I, Ray said something to me once, and I it was funny, but very appropriate. I bought my first house. I'm like, well, this would be a good test to see if I like being a landlord. He goes, nobody likes being a landlord. <laughs> and uh, and I realized, yes, he's right. Um, I said, never do I get a phone call or a text from my my tenants to say, hey, how's it going? Right. So when I got a text the other day, I'm like, shit, what the hell is this going to be now? Yeah. It's like another problem I have to deal with. Um, even if it's minor, it's just, it's never, hey, how's it going? So I, I was like, I didn't want to buy more houses and deal with more problems because I don't know how to fix things. So... I went into REITs. Yeah. And the benefit of REITs, if you get in a good one, is you don't have anybody calling you. Um, the downside is you don't have the um, property appreciating. growing, appreciating. So, but, you know, we're talking about like the stock market has sucked the last couple of years or last year or whatever it's been. And my REITs are the only thing that's been positive where everything else has been negative. So um, it's, not, it's not growing the same amount as a house, but People are paying the rents every every month and every quarter. You get money coming back can in. Can you explain what that is? A REIT? Oh, so, well, you can get a real estate investment just on a one property, like an apartment complex. And you get in and they're very, that's another thing. I didn't want to do that. So you can get an, an apartment complex. You get a bunch of people say, we need $5 million. You chip in your whatever percent and you have X percent uh, or stock or whatever you want to call it of that apartment. A specific apartment one specific one building. So not very diversified. Yes. The problem here is that you are now in this until they sell it. You're going to get a dividend or whatever every quarter based off the rents coming in, which is usually pretty good. I have friends who do it and I was looking into it. Um, but you can't get out or very easily until they sell it. And then once it's sold, it's not that easy to say, well, I don't want to roll into the next one. So you can't, it's, I, I didn't want to be that much into that. So I went through and bought a, or got a read through my advisor 
um, which has hundreds of buildings or thousands of buildings with things like Amazon warehouses, so which are pretty this much is a publicly traded mutual fund or ETF. Uh, yes. All I know is it's a REIT. I'm going to guess it's one or the other. Yeah. So um, it was simpler. I didn't have to worry about when I can get my money in or out. I didn't have to worry about somebody calling me about um, something being broken. So that was that made me more comfortable doing it instead of buying more properties. Yeah. Does that one give you a monthly dividend? It usually reads, that's uh, one of the benefits. I'm not sure if it's monthly. I don't it's look at it, but I did just year. get my tax statement and I saw how much dividends I got for the year and I was pretty happy with it, we'll say. Yeah, and look, the real estate business is, is a is a vast amount of different, you know, diversity in its in of itself, right? You can be a landlord of apartment of apartment units. You can buy single family houses and rent them out. You can multifamily houses. You can buy vacation homes and rent them out, right? And and there's probably a bunch of other flavors that like all the things Gary described. So you have to people have to decide like what makes sense for them, right? I mean, there are plenty of things. There are websites where you can go on and buy houses in Ohio. You know, and it tells you how much they're going to rent for, how much they're going to cost today, the rate of return, all this kind of stuff. But you're not there, right? You're going to just do this remotely. Um, Johnny, you did one remote, right? And but you have somebody managing it for you, right? Correct. Um, so there's there's so many ways to do it. So I would say real estate is a, is a whole subject all by itself, right? It's just one of these things, right? So one of these things of how to make your money, make more money. Um, so what else is there? So we talked about stock market, talked about real estate. How else can your money make more money? So one of the things invest in yourself and buy something like your own business, start your own business. You can start your own business or invest in yourself could also be go back to school, get a different education, advance your career, right? Like so invest in yourself can actually be at least those two things, right? Invest in, get more education to get a better job or start your own business, right? So um, I don't know if I'm going to spend two minutes on that. Well, I think while, while you're doing that, you don't necessarily need to trash the, the day job either. And I think that Correct. that's kind of my idea of hyper diversification, right? You've got your paycheck coming in and what you do with that between stocks, bonds, cash, precious metals, private collections, whatever, that's diversification, right? But that's all dependent on what? On one stream of income, one paycheck. That's not diversified. You can get fired tomorrow. You can open your email box and find you, you got fired an hour ago. Diversification is also about multiple streams of income. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge point. And on that, you know, point about the diversification, one of the things we talked about, you know, with employer-sponsored plans, about sometimes the selection may differ in terms of who your employer allows you to invest your retirement money with. I was very, very shocked to find out when I was talking with some of my coworkers in healthcare, and I don't know if this happens in other industries. But some uh, other colleagues I knew who worked for other companies, their retirement plan, the large majority of it was with their company. And I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute, you don't get to pick where your retirement dollars go? And like, oh, no, no, we have to have the large majority with well, We're all company. going down with the ship. And right. I was very, very surprised that with that. So again, like Gary has said, it, you know, that he mentioned that he doesn't think a lot of younger folks are thinking about their benefits and really... When you're looking at a job, you need to consider the benefits, not just the salary. You know, the other thing with healthcare is if you work for a large healthcare uh, network, if you look at the money that the employees are paying per paycheck toward their healthcare premiums, it is so much smaller than what everyone outside of healthcare is paying. And that is huge. And people don't realize that. 
So there's a lot to consider with it's also benefits. It's different from company to company. Yes, Again, I don't yes, think people very realize. much, very much, yeah. So I know um, when I do interviews for my, for my uh, company, when I'm interviewing people who are, say, 30-ish or younger, and, I, and they, they're maybe not happy with the salary we're offering, um, I'm like, our benefits are outweigh it. Like, maybe you'll make five, ten thousand $10,000 more somewhere else, but our benefits are better. And they don't get it. But then I talk to people who are around, you know, late 40s or 50s, and like, your benefits are great. I'm like, yes, most people don't get that. So um, you can't look at just, you have to look at the whole package. Yeah. But there's also, like, like what Adam is saying about diverse streams of income, right? So you can you can almost think about that as like a separate thing, like the salary and then the benefits. That's that's a benefit, right? Um, still one job, though. It's still one job, right? So so how else can you can you affect that, right? So you can do side work, or you can start your own business on the side. You can work part time. You can do per diem work like Ed has been doing, right? Um, can you paint? Can you tutor? Can you coach? Coach, right? So paint you can, gigs are a little tough. Though. And and can nowadays, you, can you landlord? Can you can you be a <laughs> landlord's landlord, right hand man? You know how to turn a wrench. Can you be right. a handyman? And 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 today you can just go on on online, right? There's a Fiverr website. There's a couple of other websites where people just go on there and say, "I need someone to write my resume. I need someone to draw this. I'm, I want to write a book, but I can't draw. I need someone to do the, the illustrations for me." There's a million things that you just go on there and say, "I'll do this for this much money. I'll do this for this much money." It's all these little jobs. The commitment's not there. I don't have to go and commit to working every Saturday at this part-time job. I can just go on this thing. Pick jobs that I like, do them in my spare time, get them finished, get paid, go do another one, right? So like the, there's a lot of accessibility do now. Do Uber, do Lyft. Yeah, on you your can, way you into can, work and home from work, go a little bit out of your way and get paid for it. So I, I've had a, an Uber driver and, I, and I, I talk to every one of them, right? How long do you do this? How long, you know, whatever. And one guy does that. He's like, yeah, I just go, I turn it on in the morning. I get a ride that takes me to work. I get paid for that. I go to work all day and I turn it on and I get a ride that takes me home from work. So I get paid, I get paid for commuting basically. Right? Even if it just washes out the cost of your gas and stuff, it's still a bonus. Well, it can't be that simple because right? when you you don't have a choice of where the person you pick up is where I think going. you can tell it. I think there are some 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 constraints you can put on it. Like I want to end my I want to end my shift in this location, and they'll kind of like guide you in that I don't, direction. I don't think most people realize. And if he's hungry, he does like the Uber Eats on the way. Too. Yeah, right. And, and he does. Right. Hey, buddy, you want fries with that? Right. 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 I, I don't think <laughs> like it. Yeah. I don't think people realize, um, and it's this isn't across money or work or anything, but it comes across anything is people see somebody else being successful and they think they're just successful. And then you get to know the person and realize they do a lot of things to be successful, whatever it is, uh, as I said, work, you know, athletics, anything. It doesn't just happen, but people assume they're just lucky, they're talented, they stepped in it, whatever. And then you realize like person driving to driving Uber on the way there to work and the way back, it, maybe it brings another $300 a week, but it's $300 more than somebody did nothing. Yeah. And even if it was $300 a month, it's still more. Right. right? And, and there's plenty of people out, there's plenty of emperors out there with no clothes too. There's plenty of people who look like they're very wealthy, but I, I remind people, nah, it just looks like they spend a lot of money. That's or they do. different. Well, and you could have very expensive car. It doesn't mean you have a lot of money in, for it. Right. Maybe incredibly in debt with, you know, night sweats and heart palpitations every <laughs> night. You don't know. And it doesn't really matter. I had a, a neighbor, um, Ted, you remember Ted, um, who, who had made a comment once that he can t he can usually tell like in the neighborhood who has a lot of money and who doesn't. Like he doesn't look at the cars. He doesn't look at the house. He just looks at who mows their own lawn. <laughs> right. And he just said, like, that guy's mowing his own lawn. Doesn't matter what car he's got in the driveway. He's probably not doing that great. Right? Really? That's, that's what he thought. I disagree. Right. 
Well, maybe it worked in this neighborhood, but maybe this was after he drained a couple of bottles of Aquavit. That's right. That was that's, Ted's that thing. Was, that was his drink. But but it just Aquavit it is, just, but that's how you have to say it too. Yeah. It it's um. But it's I just, cut my own lawn, so that doesn't fly. But you cut your own lawn for a reason, right? So so when so if you cut your own lawn, and you don't have a Mercedes in the driveway, right? So what he was saying was. That could, that house is you know got two Mercedes in the driveway, but got the guy's it. cutting his own lawn. Got it. So so which one tells a better story? Because you could have borrowed the money in bad debt, like we talked about mm-hmm. last week, to buy those cars, but he's still going to mow his own lawn because he can't afford the both, right? So to pay someone else to cut his lawn. So one of the things Gary said I think is really important, and that is people don't realize the steps in what it takes sometimes to get to a point where someone might be considered successful in some way. And I think one of the things that younger people lose sight of, and I tell this to my students all the time, is one of the key steps to success is failure, whether it be financial, academic, you know, to what degree is variable. But if you don't expect to make mistakes along the way, you're never going to get anywhere, right? It's going to happen. And if you let those things set you back, right, mentally, emotionally, you know, financially, then you're never gonna get anywhere. So perfect. Everybody tell one, tell your, one of your big mistakes. Make big mistakes? Yeah, in this financial. Well, I think we thing. all got our asses kicked in 99, uh, 2000 with the dot com bust, right? Except that. Yeah, no, right. I didn't. Because you didn't okay, partake? Well, yeah, I didn't partake in that. Right. It, right. Was, right. it was, this was. It just seemed phony. Be, before you were in, investing or you were just invested in other things? No, no, I thought it was phony. And at that time, you know, Ray was talking about the point where he was looking, hey, we don't have a lot of money. We're totally maxing out in our 401ks. Well, I was under the belief that, yes, I am, and I'm going to do that because I don't want extra money around because I don't need extra money around. And so we kind of had diff- different money? philosophies ab- about that. So, so well, it all, it all depends on your philosophy and what you want to do in life. So, Ed, you didn't have it in other vehicle- vehicles. Well, I guess it wasn't vehicles and things. Yeah. It wasn't trying so to grow somewhere. It, it wasn't individual stocks where I was saying, this particular dot-com is going to do awesome. Let me buy that individual stock. No, I wasn't doing and that. Was in, so I was in different in funds. funds. Yeah, yeah, I was in different funds. You know, So did it take a hit? Yeah. With the diversity, is there less of a hit? Yes. With individual stocks, was there more of a hit? Yes. Yeah. So it's not like I was totally clean, but I did not partake in the individual investments in dot-com businesses. Johnny? Uh, I guess biggest would be the first uh, real estate downfall after I had the three family. They were like in half and I just assumed they would keep going down and didn't buy, didn't pay attention. And then the rise was way too fast and you couldn't catch it up. And all the uh, local investors had snatched up everything because, you know, obviously. But, you know, it's very similar to the stock, right? When to sell and, and when to buy. Very difficult to time. And I wasn't paying attention. And I'll give you an example. The house across the street was very similar to the one uh, I had at the time, a little shorter, but I, I'm almost sure it was still a three family, just squattier. And it was 178. I'm pretty sure in this ride. How many squatters were in it? <laughs> what year are we talking about? Oh, okay. <laughs> now, so, if, uh, so right, right around there, 2009, 2000. Right after the crash. Yeah, right after the crash. So if he was looking for a house a while back, that house was probably five something. Before 2009? No. Oh, just now. recently. Now. And what was it? What could you have picked it up for? 180. I think we could all say things like that. Um, but you were looking, so you can call that a mistake since you were looking. Oh, no, um, no. It, it was right across the street from my house, <laughs> which is worse. <laughs> um, the thing that's great is that I just never made any mistakes. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The, uh, I mean, the, the only, I mean, you could always say, I should have done this, I should have done that. I think the only mistakes we can really say is, I didn't do this when you had the opportunity. Like, I, in the, around the 2000, I had multiple stocks that were just crazy. And that's when it's like, yeah, I'm retiring, I'm 30. I mean, I had, I said, I had bought one stock at 75 cents. I had thousands, and it went to 30 something dollars. Like, this is awesome. And I had some of it in my Roth. I'm like, just to, to in the last 25 years or have 20 ish years, my Roth is not where it was when I screwed up <laughs> by not selling those stocks. So I had ago, multiple yeah. stocks that were just doing crazy. And I was, well, if I sell this, it, I have to pay all those taxes. Also, it's going to go higher. Why would I sell it now? And just so many mistakes, which is then when I said, I'm not doing this on my own anymore. So, um, so yeah, we all had, most of us had the same thing. I remember coming home and I was still living at home because it was the right thing to do. Um, and telling my dad, like, dad, I made $15,000. My, my accountant made $15,000 today. I'm not even going to need to work anymore. Right? I'm keep doing <laughs> That's what he needs, 15 grand. Right? <laughs> and then, yeah, it just went all in the toilet, like, you know, like Gary said. So that was one of the big things was not getting out at the right time, right? When you know that something's not quite right, you need to, you need to make adjustments. Um, and the other thing I think, again, why didn't we do something? After the crash, we should have been buying real estate. And we kind of did. I won't say we made that mistake. We probably didn't do it aggressively enough, but that was when we bought our first uh, investment property in the Poconos. Um, so that was a good thing. Uh, what we didn't do is buy more. Um, and what we also didn't do is go down the shore and after Hurricane Sandy and just buy all the stuff that was just devastated and people were giving it away. Right? And we just didn't think about it because- everybody, Was we, that really what was happening? It was, there, oh, were, yeah. there were obliterated towns. Yeah. No, I know, but were really people getting was, rid of there their- There was two yeah. people, uh, people selling right away and the people who waited seven to 11 months for FEMA. Yeah. They just sat there and waited. Right. But there were people who didn't even wait for FEMA. They just said, give me whatever. Yeah. And there were a lot of people and who, like if you, if you had a house, people had a house in the family, right? For years and for generations, maybe they didn't have any kind of like flood insurance or anything because you don't have to, Right. Um, so you also didn't have to have them so many feet off the ground back then. Well, but you don't have to do anything if you own the house outright. That the banks that got tell it. you you got to do that Could, stuff yeah. because you've got a loan, right? So they didn't have anything. So how do you rebuild your house? You got to pay it in cash, right? Like so, a lot of people were stuck because they didn't have insurance or they didn't have these you know stuff like that in place because you know they got their house from their parents and stuff. So there was probably a lot of opportunity beachfront or close to the beach in these towns that we just completely walked away from, didn't, didn't even go look, you know, and we probably should have done that. So it, it, it's all very simple. It's just, you know, buy low, sell high, right? But the yep. reality is uh, with trying to time the market or time stocks, doesn't matter how high something is, can always go higher. Doesn't matter how low it is, can always go lower. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. So don't why beat is it twenty twenty? Because I feel like it should be maybe twenty ten. It should be twenty infinity. Like you could see forever. No, no, no. <laughs> then the denominator would get lower. It'd be twenty ten or twenty five. Twenty zero. But you still have the filter of your your own, you know, brain fog or lens, whatever's going on. So it's never going to be perfect. Close. So you say at least twenty twenty. At least at least average. Looking back, looking forward, we're you, we're not average kind of now. We're better than average. Did anybody here still twenty twenty? I know I'm not. Twenty twenty vision. No, no, not even. Cool. Who, I can't see who said that through his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. But I, sure I, I think the point is don't don't beat yourself up. You are never yeah. going to sell something at yeah. its absolute high point or buy it at its absolute low point more than once or twice. I, I, I think it's also yeah. important. Absolute when luck. you look at your with this your stocks and you say, "Oh, great, I am up twenty percent this year." It doesn't matter that's, until you sell. It doesn't right. matter, and I'm down twenty percent. 
that sucks, but it, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter. until doesn't. you sell it. So it doesn't, none of this matters until you're actually needing to sell it. Uh, yeah. Point taken. And, and you, you got to look at it as heartlessly as you can. If it's down 20%, that's a good thing. It's on sale. Yeah, buy more. Buy more. You, yeah. you got to have that kind of attitude. And with uh, the diversification, uh, Gary, I think you said before, sometimes some of the different asset pools, small cap, large cap tech, foreign stocks, some are up, some are down. There's also strategies that say buy the three that were down biggest last year for the upcoming year. Assuming it's a still good business. Right. Well, if you're, but if you're doing indexes within those oh. segments, you don't even need to worry about that. I'm not advocating that, but it, it, it's the, uh, the idea that everything eventually reverts to the mean, right? Mean reversion. So if something is incredibly down, it's more likely to come up than something that is setting 52-week highs week after week after week. Right. If it's going to, yeah. Well, that, another topic of rebalancing portfolios, which we will we'll not get into here, but that is, that is something that should be done, right? Based on whether things are high or low and all of that stuff matters. So one of the things that I, I noticed with you guys, you know, as I listened to this, it's interesting because many of you guys kind of refer to, oh, you know, we should have bought this, we should have bought this then. And, you know, we mentioned everything is cyclical. You know, one of the things, you know, years ago I read, you know, from Warren Buffett, you know, it was an article where people were asking, well, what's the best thing to do in times are tough, in economic times are tough, what's the best thing to do? And his advice I thought was amazing. It had nothing to do with investing. It says, you need to hone in and perfect the skills that you have in your profession or industry. And I thought that was totally key. So when I got really ticked off, I think it was like early 2000s and the market went down and I was like, look at that, that stinks. Look at my retirement account, that's terrible, right? I decided, you know, I was talking to my wife and I was like, we have to go back to school. You know, we can, you know, get another degree and I can go and I can get board certified in a certain specialty. And because I did that, other avenues opened up, you know, for me where I can teach now. So I think looking at other opportunities in the market and real estate to yield long-term gains is one option. But then other people who might be in a profession might choose to go that route that Warren Buffett suggests and perfect your core of skills to seek further certification. Investing in yourself, I, I think, is is never a bad bet. Yeah, and and we talked about that earlier, right? Like, in order for all this to work, you've got to you've got to make more early on, right? So doing that, investing in yourself, is is what helps get that done, right? And then it for you it paid off at the end because now you get to teach and you actually enjoy it, right? Twenty um, <laughs> percent. <laughs> but I will say this: I will say it, and I'm sure we can find this quote from Warren Buffett also, where he says. When there's blood in the streets, you should be buying. Of course. Right? So, so it goes both ways. Invest in yourself, but take advantage of opportunities when they're there. Right? But you have to be ready for that. You have to have money available. You have to have saved, not be living on the credit cards. Right? Because you can't do anything you know, when that happens. Otherwise, you're, it's your blood in the street. Well, you could right? be like Adam and take all the money out of credit cards to buy this <laughs> and then just pay it back before it's due. You can do that. What is it, six months you were saying you were getting or a year of interest? Yeah, rate? somewhere up to 12 months. Yeah. So you can do it. You just got to be yeah. diligent in paying it back. All right. So we're going to run out of time. You want to talk about hyper-diversification or do we already do this? Well, hyper-diversification is really just not limiting yourself to a single stream of income, right? So what do you do to diversify away from your single paycheck? And I think we touched on that's you know, second, second full-time job, part-time job, side gigs. Can you, you know, do odd jobs, handyman, do a little Uber, a little Lyft, tutoring, Anything. Look, if you're married, there's two incomes, right? And if you're not both working in the same company, there's some diversification there too, right? So you, you have that as well. 
Um, Only fans. What's that? Oh, gambling, gambling on sports. Yeah, that's not what I said. But only that's like when, when, when Lois wanted to. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's that's like when Lois wanted to call Family Man Mr. Skin, and it was didn't didn't really work. Chris told her why. <laughs> so um, I guess yeah. I guess nobody. Oh, Gary, you and Gary. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Uh, the only ones. I didn't say it. So any other any other yeah. diversified income yes. options that we didn't cover yet? Yes, there's another diversified income option that I never really thought of until I was reading a financial self-help uh, financial book. And it was talking about how when you save and cut costs, you're actually increasing your income tax-free. And I went, and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then he gave an example. 100%. He's saying, all right, something's going to cost you $1,000. So if you go out and get a job and you make 1000 that doesn't cover that cost because that's a second job and you got to pay tax on that money. You make less than a thousand dollars. So if something costs you a thousand dollars, maybe if you go out and make fourteen hundred, thirteen hundred, then that'll equal the cost. But if you do something somehow, you know, you help a friend, he helps you, now that thousand dollars is essentially tax-free earnings. But it's not earnings, you didn't spend it. So it's tax-free earnings. And I thought that was a real interesting perspective. When I started looking at that, I was like, wow, I was like, that's so true. Right. And then he applied it to investing too. Right. When you're looking at it, he's like, you got to look at it from if you save and cut down, it's tax-free. And I was like, that's a really cool perspective. The other thing that we didn't touch upon, which I think from my experience has been kind of a double-edged sword, and that is the tax advantage vehicles for saving for children's education, uh, the 529 plans and the Coverdell ESAs, which are education savings accounts. I think those can be a great way to grow those funds um, tax-free. You know, for education purposes, one thing I didn't know of when I was using those is apparently they're not just for college. And apparently they're not just for the child you're saving for. You know, you have to look at your income limits, but a lot of times they're applicable for kindergarten, uh, elementary school, high school. You can use the 529 plans for that. A no, lot of times that's correct. transferable among siblings and that's first correct. cousins. Yeah. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of flexibility in there. Cousins. Yeah, the 529s more so than the ESAs. I did both. And the covered LESA doesn't have as much. And now, uh, from what I understand, they actually changed the limitation. So if you make over a certain amount, you can't. But um, it's definitely worth looking into. I found those to be advantageous. But like we we're talking about on a previous episode, how we we're talking about no matter how much you save, I'm not so sure it's a good bet just funding the entire education bill for your kids. I think having them uh, you know, be part of it and have a team approach is, is always best. Right, but regardless, whatever you are, whatever you are contributing, doing it tax-free is better, right? So it falls into the similar bucket, right? Because you can max out a 401k, you can max out an IRA. Well, here's another bucket you can max out with a similar, very similar tax advantage to it. Um, there's also an HSA, the healthcare savings account. We didn't yes. talk about that at all. Those are really great. Probably the best of all of these, um, but I don't think we're going to get into that. Uh, but don't forget about that one. Um, write that down. Write that down. So... Um, any closing statements? Anything you guys want to summarize here? Well, the best way to diversify, of course, is with the Attic Static blog. <laughs> Can't beat that. Did I say blog? Yeah, podcast. <laughs> Sorry. You got five Gen Xers around here. We're bound to have, you know, screw ups like that. Thank you for listening to the Attic Static podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a comment below or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com and stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.